Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this was an absolutely delightful conversation with a longtime friend of mine, Julie Dibbons. Julie was one of the all-time greatest athletes to do the sport, um, especially when it comes to Xterra, where she won uh, three off-road world championships. She won a 70.3 world title. She had a podium at uh, the Ironman World Champs, multiple Olympics, multiple Commonwealth Games. Um, we, we dissect the Kona Ironman World Championships that just passed. We then go and look at her journey. And then we really have a look at her coaching philosophies. Um, And I really enjoyed that part of the show. So listen to this episode. So many great takeaways and a huge shout out to Julie for coming on the show because this was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Speaking of success, have you ever tried fast food? It's a high-performance fuel made from 100% real food. No more bloated feelings or crashes. With their unique optimal energy release system, you get consistent energy. Dive into their Galacto Gel, Galacto Gummy, or the Hydrator and taste the real difference. Give them a go and let me know what you think. You can write me on any of the social platforms. I'd love your feedback. You're out there training hard and racing, and I want to know how you feel on fast food. And remember, your mission is fast food's mission, so don't miss out. Right. Well, today's guest, she is a powerhouse in the world of triathlon and endurance sports. Not only has she etched a name in the history books of the sport with titles like Ironman 70.3 world champion and three-time Xterra world champion, but she's also a British Olympian, multiple Commonwealth Games athlete, and add to that her third place finish at the iconic Ironman world championships in Kona, Hawaii, and plus plenty of other wins all around the world. Absolutely outstanding career. And after years of competing at the highest level, she's now sharing a wealth of knowledge with the next generation of athletes as one of the world-renowned respected coaches at JD Coaching. Based out of Triathlon Mecca, Boulder, Colorado, she's been sculpting winners for many years now. So without further ado, welcome and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Julie Dibbons. How are you? Jules Dibbo. I know it's been too long, Greg. It's good to, you know, hear your voice. I have such fond memories of uh, our time in Boulder when you guys were still living here and some of the training and hanging out that we did. I miss you guys. I know. We miss you as well. And, and, and for listeners will hear me say this often, this podcast for me has just been such a great way to be able to have a connection with, with friends that otherwise I probably wouldn't get to just spend an hour chatting with. So, you know, the fact that you've been willing to make this time happen. I know you've got so much going on. Um, you've just traveled back from Kona, Hawaii, and I want to dive into that in a little bit, but first, how's everything else going in life and, and you keeping fit? Yeah, things are good. Um, coaching's definitely keeping me busy. Mm. Uh, still like to ride my bike a lot. Um, so I get out with some of my athletes and not really interested in competing anymore, but I love to adventure. Mm. Um, you know, so like last summer did a ride from Paris to Barcelona, which was super fun. And then this year just kept a little closer and rode down to Durango from Boulder. Um, so stuff like that, (laughs) like I, I definitely like to be active. I don't run anymore. I typically don't swim, but I actually did swim when I was in Hawaii. It's funny (laughs) how that works. Um, but yeah, 
definitely like to stay active and be in the great outdoors. I, I, I love that you've been, you know, I had I had T.O., Timothy O'Donnell on the show last week and, you know, we were talking about you and, and, and you've done so much of his training with him um, mm-hmm. for years and I think that's, I think it's really great when a coach can still keep up and still keep everybody, you know, on task um, and, and you're able to use other athletes for your own fitness. That's really cool. Yeah, like I think it's it's there's two purposes, right? Like I've always found as a coach being out there with them, like you just pick up, I think you pick up on so more, so mm. much more. Mm. Um, and I feel that, I don't know, I get like um, a little bit more authentic, genuine person when I'm out there doing stuff. You know, it's like when they say like when if you're walking beside somebody rather than sitting opposite somebody you can often get more honesty out of them and so if I'm out there even if I'm riding alongside the athlete running I sometimes just learn so much more about what's going on Mm. Um, and then also picking up on body language you know if you're riding you can pick up when pick up on when an athlete is starting to suffer a little bit more um, just through their body language or their cadence or what have you, but for sure it's, it's the dual purpose in that I get to be out there doing something I love and get some, thanks some fitness at the same time. I love how you put that. That is really cool. I think, um, well, I think it was Dr. Dan Plews who I had on, you know, the show oh, probably over a year ago. And he was talking about how he enjoys training with, whether it be Chelsea Sodaro or I think, um, Terenza Bazone and, and a number of other athletes that he trained. And, and he said, yeah, that, that exactly what you said. He, he, he feels like he just gets a little bit more in insight and maybe it's even just like you said almost like an awareness just an energy thing you know <laughs> no totally yeah. like, it, like I really do feel it and it's it's often my um my motivation during the winter in Colorado like to stay fit because I think that <laughs> it's not only good for me but it helps me be a better coach yeah um, when the summer rolls around and we all want to ride up to ward or whatever it is yeah yeah you know no more um Leadville 100s for you then I don't think so. Yeah. I'll never say never, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what was the best you did there? You've done pretty well there, haven't you? I came second. Yeah. Year, so. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, yeah. It's just, as with ever, everything now, it's just getting so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're slowing down and everyone else is getting yeah. faster. It sucks. <laughs> All right. Well, when, when did you get back from Kona? Cause you've only, we're recording for people listening. We're recording on the Tuesday, just a couple of days post Kona Ironman and you've just flown back right yeah I flew back yesterday morning took the red eye over overnight Sunday night oh brutal yes I know. <laughs> but still the joys. yeah well I want to today I, I want to chat to you I think we'll start by sort of uh maybe the two of us will dissect the Kona Ironman world championships to start um yeah. I then want to kind of rewind the clock and and really go through your journey and everything you learned from your own athletic experiences and then move on to your coaching um so let's get into it Kona Ironman is kind of fresh on our minds after an incredible event on Saturday um first and foremost what stood out to you the most <laughs> um like I think there's there's so many things like you know the fact that it was women only, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think we, we have to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And that was super cool for, for many, many reasons. Um, but like from my perspective, just being able to follow the race and not have the, it's not that it's a distraction, but I can just fully focus on what's going on in the women's race. 
Um, I think the energy was really good. I think for the most part, it was received pretty well. Um, like I, the the only downside, I said that the energy wasn't quite the same as far as spectators go. Mm. Um, but I think that was to be expected. But um, I love how the women just feed it off each other, you mm. know, and the, the pros put on a great show as well as the age groupers. Like, I don't know the statistics, but I, I heard that everybody made the swim cutoff, right? And then the number of finishers, I think, was higher than it's ever been. So wow. there's definitely a lot of positives to take from that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, you know, there's been so much talk about the men's and women's races and having niece and everything else. So I, my own opinion is I, I'd love to keep the men and women together, but give them their own days. You know, it's yeah, kind of what no. we had last year, right? Where we had the the women on the what was it Friday and the men on the Saturday or whatever. I I don't care where we do that in the world. To be honest, I love Kona. Don't get me wrong, and I think we should keep trying to go back there. But I mm-hmm. I I don't know something about me. I just love the fact that we're all together. Um, but I've I also love the fact that women should have their own day and not get mixed up in the men's race and blah 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 blah. So, but I'm I'm glad to hear that you thought that it was still a really, from, from watching it on, you know, Facebook live and, and everything, it's hard to get a, a true sense, but it seemed, I don't know, it felt like a typical Ironman world championships in Kona. The energy coming across the screen was still fantastic. Yeah. Like I, I think it really was. And I, like, I agree with you. I, I think I always loved racing with the men, you know, mm-hmm. and just having, having everybody all together. There's something about that, yeah. that, um, like it was missed, I would say. Um, but as far as the actual spectacle of the race, and I think talking to those that raced, yeah, like it was special mm-hmm. in a different way. Yes, less spectators, less energy from that perspective. Mm. Um, but still, yeah. like a, it's still Kona, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there is something special about that place yeah. um, for Ironman. So I think it's great yeah. that we could be there. Who, who surprised you in, in watching the women's race? Were any standout surprises? Um, I don't think so much surprises. Like I, I love seeing Lucy do what she did. Like that mm. was truly phenomenal. Mm. Um, and to lead, you know, wire to wire like that. Hey, who like, else has done that? I was trying to think about that. Who else has ever done that? A wire to wire win. I mean, Dave. I don't. I think there is a lady that I don't. I don't remember her name. Back in the. The earlier days. And Dave Scott, maybe? Did Dave Scott win wire to wire very yeah, early I'm, on? I'm not a history buff like you can are. Somebody, can somebody write in? I've been lying in bed, scratching my head. I haven't done too much homework, to be honest, but I did think about it. Who else has won wire to wire? Um, but, yes, it's hard not to talk about Lucy's performance. I think... I think she had an enormous amount of people rooting for her <laughs> to, yeah. to get the win after four second places okay. to then do it in the fashion she did an 824. Like think about that. That's back to back 412 pay for 70.3. Like yeah. it is mind blowingly fast. A 49 and then what was it? A 432 and then a 257 marathon. The numbers are insane. It really, it, I mean, an Annie Hug with a 248 marathon, really outstanding performances. I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching the whole race. Yeah, like I think the the speeds, you know, that both the men and the women race now, like oh. it's incredible. <laughs> it's 
it's insane, isn't it? Like it really is. And I think some of that, for sure, the last, like, on Saturday and last year, conditions were good. But mm. we all know, anybody that's been out in Kona knows that good conditions are still, <laughs> still, still not easy, right? Yeah. Um, but I think for Lucy to lead the race the whole time like that, like, I think people underestimate how hard that is Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. the mental toll um like i you know the way that i raced i like to go that way but it was still hard like the doubt still creeps in Mm -hmm. um so the fact and then especially hearing that she had a little bit of a achilles problem that popped up like a week before um like the mental strength that you have to just stay positive and stay in a moment and keep keep focused and not crumble mm-hmm. like is amazing. Um, but I think, yeah, back to how fast those races are, like the bike is just getting faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think some of that is technology, um, especially for the women. Like when, when I was racing 10, 15 years ago, not that many women were were looking at the marginal gains of equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now it's a lot more even between men and women. So that's super exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you got the shoes and all of that. But then outside of that, from the coaching perspective, like there's so much more knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, people are getting just smarter with the training. And so the level just keeps going up and up. It really is. I mean, I was saying this to Laura just before I jumped on recording with you. We were, we were just talking about the sport as a whole, exactly how you put it. And it, it, it is so mind-boggling how much faster it's gotten in this last, almost post-COVID to some degree. I mean, it was still, it's always been improving, but there's yeah. been leaps and bounds. And yes, I think the bike positioning and, and the bikes and to your point, the way that athletes are training coaches like yourself it's like the coaching is so much more advanced i think nutrition i think yeah there's a lot in the fueling space where the fueling products are getting better and athletes are able to actually consume more without all the gastro issues that, that, you know i think we struggled a lot on 15 20 years ago um and then obviously yeah the the the, the running shoes are very quick um and we all know that but it really is when you put all of that together, you see Sam Laidlow and, and Lucy and these, this generation of athletes just crushing it. It really is amazing. How did your athletes go, by the way? Um, we, so we had uh, four athletes out there. Mm-hmm. I had uh, Laura Sidal who came 16th oh, great. in the pros and she was that, the last female under nine hours, which is incredible, right? Oh, so I'm so happy for her. Yeah, big yeah, shout out. Went sub nine, uh, nine hours, which is yeah, a mind-blowing stat. And then Lauren Brandon, uh, she had like a great swim. You know, she was right up there. Would have liked to have been on Lucy's feet. But um, yeah, it kind of got stuck in that, that first pack mm. of women. Um, and then, yeah, I think she just decided to be super aggressive at the first part of the bike and paid, paid for it. She just wanted to be a part of the race. Yeah, you know, she knew I that it. it was the most competitive <laughs> race all year. Yeah, so yeah. it was just kind of caught in the moment just soaking it up and just having fun out there which you know you can't knock that mm. um yeah yeah so there's those two and then we had two age groupers um one didn't finish unfortunately oh. 
uh, just some hydration issues. And then the other lady, you know, did really well, went 1130 something. Um, so about 30 minutes slower than her previous Ironman, which I think is pretty good in Kona. Yeah, I think. Look, anybody that's raced Kona know that that race can slap you around. I know it slapped me around big time. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like, oh, there you go, Greg. Well done. Um, <laughs> it was, and I was a bit like uh, Lauren Brandon. I, I did lead Kona for a little while, everybody, um, very early on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I can say I led Kona for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it, it is an event, you know, and we haven't talked about the course itself. You know, there's 5,500 feet of climbing. Um, right. it's not a flat race by any means. Uh, the wind can pick up, but when the wind doesn't pick up, it's very hot and humid. And it, it and so it's a very challenging event. Did, did you think there were any interesting sort of, um, strategies that anybody had that you were surprised, you know, Annie hug, uh, her performance, it was consistent. And then we always knew she'd lay down a, an amazing run and then to drop a 248 was insane. Um, but were there any that you were like, oh, maybe they could have done better or, you know, maybe attacked it more? Um, like, I don't think tactically, like the swim tends to always set up the day one way or the other, you mm. know? So if, if you go back and look at, um, how that may have impacted the race, mm. um, like there was a couple of people like Sky and Laura Phillips, had I would say subpar swims mm-hmm. and they're a little bit isolated and so initially you think oh shoot like they're kind of out of the race but then in some ways they get to just ride their pace mm-hmm. so it ends up almost being an advantage and talking to Sky a little bit after the race she definitely felt that mm-hmm. you know the the trick there is not to panic and just focus on your power and doing what you need to mm-hmm. um Chelsea, I think, blew up a little bit more than I would have expected on the bike and then was just kind of out of it. The fact that she still ran up to... Sixth, I think, right? Six, yeah. yeah. Shows, you know, her class as an athlete um, yeah. and that, that run ability. Um, Danny, you know, she obviously tried to make a move or it, it appeared that way, um, but then the girls didn't let her go, no, she, you know, which was yeah. the right call for them. Yeah. Um, I think Taylor, like there was so much excitement. I was so excited to, to follow Taylor and see what she could do. Mm. And I think she had a phenomenal day, right. To really? go there and really? race, what was it? 835. I think she went on her first Ironman again, phenomenal. Um, it looked like she just raced like a really smart controlled day. Yeah. I was kind of expecting her to maybe push the bike a little bit more than she did, but she, she seemed happy just again, riding her own power, which is the right call. Yeah. I was, um, super impressed, but not surprised because she just keeps impressing me. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's not like, Oh my God, I'm amazed at how well she approached that race because I just feel like she's, she's very calculating and she does things um, you know, she has a good time out there, but I know she's very smart and very calculating. And it was one of those where I didn't truly believe she would win, but I knew she'd have a consistent, strong day because she is so calculating and so smart and has a good team behind her. And, you know, she's a two time 70.3 world champion and Olympic athlete and blah, 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 blah. Um, she, (laughs) I think we're going to see plenty of Taylor Nib. 
Um, yes, we are. <laughs> I hope we are. Yeah, I hope so too. I think, you know, I think she did the right thing, accepting the spot for this year's race, and now she can go and really focus on the Olympics uh, in Paris next year. Um, and then we, you know, she's still only, what is she, 25? Um, I think 24. Yeah. 24, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and look, you uh, when you're 24 GB. <laughs> well, I can't remember that now. My gosh, actually, yeah, I'm more than twice as old as her. There you go. And look, I, I just, I just think the whole race. It was one of those where I think a lot of us were really excited for Lucy to have a day. Um, the podium and the top five, you know, Danny Rift to still come in there. You know, arguably the greatest to ever do. Um, the sport or I man, we can talk about that later, but, you know, to still come in fifth, the reigning champ, Chelsea Sodaro to just, like you said, still have a really amazing day and, 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 you know, fly home to sixth. It was just, I think it worked out great. I really think it was a pretty awesome performance all around and, and congrats to all the women that raced, um, really did the sport proud do you know what i mean without sounding condescending i just thought it was a really epic epic day and i think it was really cool um and uh big shout out to lucy obviously for finally getting that win yeah amazing <laughs> wow. <right>? yeah time <laughs> second and then to come back and win like oh, yeah and to do it the way she did like you said with all the pressure 100 it'll be interesting mm. to see what she you know what she wants to do next yeah yeah it's almost like box tick do i keep doing this yeah. or <laughs> Well, now what? Now what? Um, and now she's free to fly. I know that's pretty cool. But let, let's let's shift gear. Um, thank you for for that. It's always good to to talk to you, someone like yourself who understands the sport and was actually there um, to give us a bit of insights. But let's rewind the clock um, and talk a bit about your journey. And uh, you were telling me pre-show that you wanted to be a tennis player. Um, so we're going to have to unpack that a little bit, (laughs) but tell me, you know, growing up was sport always in your DNA in your blood. Is that something you always wanted to be doing? Yeah. Like I was, I was always active, you know, I have a older brother that is 18 months older. Mm. Um, and, and he was pretty athletic, more into rugby, hockey and cricket, especially towards that, the end. Um, but I was definitely encouraged, um, to try as many different things as possible. Um, tennis. Yeah. That was probably my favorite thing growing up and definitely wanted to be a tennis player over being a swimmer. But even though my hand-eye coordination was okay, I I wouldn't say I was ever the most agile or nimble across (laughs) the court. (laughs) The slow twitch fibers were kicking in early. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Went to, to boarding school predominantly for swimming, but I was still doing, you know, everything that I could get my hands on. Mm. And it was only when I was 16 did I start to real, really start specializing in swimming. Um, kind of went to Olympic trials and did okay. Um, and then decided to go swim at LSU on scholarship and, and take, try and take swimming a little bit further and it was only after I graduated that I kind of got into triathlon afterwards. Oh, that's right. What were you swimming? What was your event? I was a backstroker, 100 and 200 backstroke. Ah. Um, pretty specialized, never really branched out of that. <laughs> so did you race again? I mean, obviously, Laura was at SMU and, and Becky Lavelle was, 
That was Becky. She was at LSU with me. That's right. She was at, that's how you guys were met. So people that don't know Becky Lavelle, also amazing uh, US triathlete for for many, many years, was on the circuit, uh, married Brian Lavelle, legend of a guy. Um, But yeah, that's right. Were you on the same team then as Becky? Yeah, we were. We were, we were roommates for, that's right. I think the full time, four years. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now it's all coming back to me. I knew all yeah, of this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she was actually the one that kind of got me into triathlon. So I have her to thank. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. All right. Big shout out to Becky. And so you didn't start triathlon until fairly late then because you, not until you finished college, you found it? Yeah, I did my first uh, triathlon in 97. And that was just like a little on-campus reverse sprint triathlon in a pool. So, <laughs> oh, so you did run, bike, swim, you mean, or? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh. um, yeah, it was actually like, I think you talk to anybody, they have like their first triathlon is always like a fun thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got something oh. unique, but yeah, it was a 5k run. I did it with Becky and also my husband now. Um, so we <laughs> ran together, we were on our mountain bikes. We did that all together. We had no idea what drafting was. Um, or that it was non-drafting and we were getting yelled at by everybody because <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing. And then I think it was a 500 in a pool where you snaked up and down the pool. Yeah. Um, so we did that all together. And then the last 25, we sprinted. <laughs> and who won? <laughs> I don't remember. I'm going to give Becky the win. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I, I, like you just said, I love hearing people's first triathlon experience and then you never know that you're going to have an amazing career and it's going to actually springboard you towards something more. When, when did you sort of start going, hey, I, I'm okay at this. Maybe I'm going to take this a bit more serious. Yeah, like it was, it was pretty quickly and it was honestly the perfect transition for me out of college because mm. I knew that I wanted to be done swimming, mm. um, but I wanted to stay active and competitive at something so yeah I did that first um triathlon that summer of 97 and then 98 I raced as an age grouper and went to ITU Worlds in Lausanne mm. were you were you racing there I did race Lausanne yeah, yeah I raced like it was it was a fun experience for me because I just obviously that's my first kind of international race as an age grouper but it was the year that Simon Lessing won um, and then Tim Don won the juniors. So right. I kind of got introduced to some of the top people in the sport within Great Britain. Um, and then things kind of transitioned from there pretty quickly. I qualified for Sydney Olympics. Mm. Um, so I, I guess I knew pretty quickly that it was something I wanted to do and I was going to be okay at. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty quick. I mean, that was the thing when you think back in the nineties there, quite often the elite swimmers were the ones that transitioned over to become triathletes almost faster than everybody else, um, mm-hmm. especially as the sport became draft legal at the Olympic distance uh, and you needed to be in that front pack. You know, yeah. Laura was a bit the same with the US team kind of transitioned over and ju- she just happened to transition with about five other <laughs> phenomenal right. US swimmers at the time. So the teams were, I mean, the British and it's always been the British and the, and the American women have really led the way more recently, the French, um, yeah. the Australians definitely there, um, during that period for sure as well. Um, but really when you look back there, was there a moment where you, where you thought, okay, I can make a career of this. Like I, I can actually have this as a profession or is it still kind of just seeing, 
how you go as an athlete? Um, I, th- I think I had a good sense. I got, I got lucky um, in that I had uh, like a couple of really good sponsors early mm-hmm. um, in the year when, in the times when sponsorship seemed a little easier than now. Um, and then also was racing the, uh, um, what was it? The USTS series. Oh yeah. Uh, which was a mix of drafting and non-drafting. Um, so that I had a great year. It was probably one of my, at least financially, <laughs> my best years was my first year racing. Really? Like, Holy shit. Like this is easy. <laughs> Why doesn't everybody do this? Shh, don't tell anybody. They're just giving it away. <laughs> um, so kind of went down that road like very quickly, but then got knocked right back down to reality you know, right around Sydney Olympics when I got injured and then kind of the next four years were me trying to stay healthy. I'd, I'd have a couple of races here or there, uh, but a lot of times on the sidelines. Brutal. Okay. So that's what happened early on there. Cause you still went on and, and, uh, qualified for the Athens Olympic games again. So your second Olympics, mm-hmm. um, what was that feeling like? I mean, both feelings to qualify for the Olympics, obviously to get injured at the last moment is not ideal for any athlete, but still to qualify, share that with your family and friends. What were both those experiences like? Yes. Qualifying for Sydney was definitely one of the like greatest moments. Like when I look back and think about the emotion that was associated with that Mm. growing up as a swimmer, you know, like going to Olympics is, is often the big dream. And I, I realized in college, probably before college that that, that wasn't a reality, but it was still something kind of hanging out there and then got into triathlon relatively quickly as say like, and within two and a half years qualified for Olympics. Um, like that was amazing. So this massive high and then not long later, like a massive low. Yeah. What was the, what was the injury that took you out of Sydney? Uh, I had a partially torn ACL. Um, then I got just, just running. It was actually one of my last runs before, as is often the case before I flew out to the Gold Coast. Um, yeah. Oh, brutal. I actually remember that, you know, you can kind of remember everybody's stories. They're kind of not your story, but you kind of, I remember, I remember who, who took your spot? Cause maybe Michelle. Michelle Dillon. That's okay. That's how I remember that story then. Cause yeah, uh, yeah, I knew you'd been, that had happened and it's, it's so deflating. Um, It it is, but you you get through it, right? Well, of course it's part of your journey. It's part of your makeup. And uh, I don't think there's an athlete in the world that's not nodding their head and going, yeah, shit. Yep. Yep. (laughs) We, We all get it. We have these enormous moments of triumph and then they're, they're, they're taken away. What about, what about qualifying for Athens then? Yeah, so that that was much the same in that I feel I always I got lucky in that I was healthy during the qualification period, mm. um, and my timing was right in that I qualified at the Madeira World Cup. Um, we had to get top eight, and I managed to get eight. So that was again an, another amazing high, um, and then. Again, went into the, the games with a, an injury. I dislocated my toe um, not long before. Um, like at, at that time, like it, it, was, it was a hard time for me. There was a lot of politics going on within the British triathlon. Mm. 
team and it definitely put a little bit of a dampener on my Olympic experience, but it was redemption for sure. And I was going to do everything I could to get to the start line of that race after what happened in Sydney. Oh, I'm sorry to hear about all the politics in sport. Do you think, do you think it's getting better? Do you think these federations are getting better? I mean, I've had so many guests on the show that mention, mm-hmm. you know, without going into details, um, yeah. but it's, do you think the sport's getting better or the federations? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure, Greg. Like, yeah. I'm pretty far removed from that side of the sport, mm. probably deliberately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't feel like I should, should judge that. Um, but I, I hope it's better because it was, it was hard to be a part of. And I know talking to some of the other people on the team at that time, yeah, it's, it's disappointing. Yeah. Is it, okay, let's, we're going to have to unpack it just a bit. Is it, was it a lot about picking a team and having people work for one athlete or was it just the way the selection was? Was that the problem? Yeah, it was, it was mostly with the selection mm. um, policy. Um, they picked one athlete, Jody Swallow, a year before at the test event and she had to prove her fitness prior Mm-hmm. Um, and then that got messy because there was a bike crash um, at the last chance to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like it, it was due to the selection criteria and there being too many unknowns. It wasn't as clear cut as probably I think it should be. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think the federations are doing a little bit better on all of that. But uh, look, like you, I, I don't know. I feel like I've been screwed and then it's like, okay, yeah. whatever, move on. It's part, it's part of your journey. It's part of your story. Um, so, you know, so let, let's think about, you know, you've mentioned qualifying for both of those games. If we were to look at your career, which is long, um, it's almost 20 years worth of professional racing, you know, what are some of the real highlights that just stand out to you? Um, qualifying for Olympics, mm-hmm. for sure is up there um like winning winning the world titles that i won and then i like i think kona the second year the first year i raced i came third the second year i raced i was going in with a foot injury um and like the highs and lows just within that whole experience Mm. Um, I look back on it fondly. It was ended up being like the end of my career, Mm. um, which is kind of crazy, but I, I just went for it in the race and I had so much fun and to be a part of, yeah, the sport in that way and the, the history of the sport. And it's, I know it's how a lot of people remember, my Ironman days was mm. just like the massive lead that I had off the bike. Yeah, you'd ride, um, a, you'd ride, you, you, you smashed everybody on the bike that day. I remember it was like you were 15 minutes or something in the lead. Yeah, I, th- I don't remember. I think it was like 20, 22 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Get it right, Greg. <laughs> I think it was a 4.41. Yeah, wow. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But you had a broken foot, right? I didn't have a broken foot, but my foot was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> How far did you get in the marathon in that? Uh, almost to 10 miles. Almost yeah. to 10 miles. Yeah. yeah, brutal. 
brutal. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those, I remember we were, you know, we were all friends by this stage and, you know, we'd, and uh, it was one of those where you just went for it. I kind of felt like, wow, I guess if she gets, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, she figures she can walk, <laughs> walk and get it down. Uh, but your third, your third has to be, you know, I mean, I know, look, I know you're competitive like I am. Of course you are. But the third had to be a little bit of a, a, a good tap on the shoulder, tap on the back and say, hey, you, you're not bad at this. I know you want for more, but what did you think yeah. about the No, 100%. I yeah. think it was more, I wasn't one of those athletes that grew up knowing that Ironman or Kona was something that I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, as we've discussed, I, I grew up swimming. I, yeah. I was all about Olympics. And then my, my career just kind of evolved yeah. to more Xterra 70.3. And it was only when I, I got the slot for Kona was I like, huh. I guess I'll maybe do I, yeah. maybe I do go to Kona and give this Ironman thing a try. Like it was being there and racing in 2010. Like I, I, I truly got to experience what everybody was talking about. Yeah, and yeah. I, I wished I could have raced many, many more years. No, uh, but it is what it is, and I, I'm truly thankful for the the time that I had out there. Yeah, but you also, I really look at you know, you you maximized a lot of your career. You like we said in the intro. You know, you you won all those Xterra World Championships. You won a seventy point three world title. Uh, you won numerous other races. Um, you had some decent endorsements along the way, and we're able to actually, you know, I, I I think sometimes it's hard when we look back and we've you know had lots of injuries and downtimes and uptimes. But it's you know when when you look back, have, have there been sort of some lessons that you've kind of really felt you've been able to learn from and grow from? Like definitely, I'm not like they're not jumping out at me right now. But, um. <laughs> well, I think I think you know when when I think of it is like the ability to adapt, the ability yeah. to keep moving forward, um, even under under strain. You know, yeah. Like I think the more of the lessons that I learned were from like being around other athletes and learning, like, especially now if I put my coach's hat on and stop mm -hmm. talking about <laughs> my career, like I, I learned so much from, um, observing, you know, like being within the British triathlon federation and learning what, what we did then and what worked and what didn't work. Mm -hmm. We had times when we were super scientific with things and did a bunch of testing and then phases when we didn't do any, <laughs> um, like training in Boulder with all the people that were in Boulder when we were training together. Like I learned so much from training with you guys and just seeing what worked and what didn't. Um, hmm. and I, I definitely implement a lot of that in the way that I coach people. Mm. Well, let's, like, let's do this. Let's talk more about your coaching because I think, was that, an, first and foremost, was that something that you knew you wanted to do post-career or you kind of fell into it? Somebody just wanted some coaching? How did that all happen? Uh, I, I always knew that coaching was something that I thought I might be interested in. Mm. Um, I, you know, in, in college, got a degree in um, kinesiology and then a master's in exercise physiology. So I, I always had like an interest in that side of things. Um, I did a little bit of coaching like a lot of athletes or professional athletes do on the side. Um, when I was still living in England, um, it was mostly 
to help um, in some ways like pass the time when I was injured and not racing. Mm. Um, but that, that was always just for something to do and help supplement income. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only really when after 2011 Ironman where like I, I ended up having foot and knee surgery was I starting to think a little bit more about the future. Um, the full-time coaching started when Tim Don decided to move to Boulder and he was looking to step up to 70.3 and Ironman and he reached out. He was like the first professional athlete that I started coaching and just started creating a squad built somewhat around him. And the vision initially was to try and just create an environment where we would get the work done, but have fun doing it. That's awesome. Well, that's pretty cool because even the way that Tim transitioned, um, you know, as somebody that raced Tim Dawn for many, many years, um, and he was somebody that was exceptional in the draft legal format of racing, um, many time world champion, but we always felt like we had him when it came to non-drafting and anything to do with a bike. (laughs) And he joined you. And within a very short period of time, suddenly his bike really, really improved. And I don't actually know the work you were doing. Maybe you can tell me, but it was pretty cool to see that transition and the ability for him to adapt to the the different style and the different format of racing to the point that he went on to win Brazil Ironman in a world record time. Um, Yeah. You know. Yeah. What year that was. Yeah. Maybe 2017, 2018. Yeah, it was right. It was the year before he got um, taken out. So, or it was the same year, maybe earlier in the year. Um, But anyway, tell me, you know, the work you did with him, because I'm fascinated (laughs) because I always thought I had him and then suddenly he just, you know, I don't think there was anything magical to it. Yeah. It's consistent it never is right it never is just one magic (laughs) um like some of it i i do think and i experienced this when i moved to boulder like having the mountains right here and the terrain and just being able to like really enjoy the riding on relatively safe roads Mm -hmm. um you know like that in itself is a real organic way to improve your riding um, because you're just out there inspired by the the mountains um and getting good hard work done um so I I think some of it was was that like maybe the the consistency and just switching the focus away from his his running and just putting a little bit more more focus on the biking Mm -hmm. um later on we did start working alongside Matt Bottrell Mm -hmm. um on the the aerodynamics like Matt is phenomenal with the bike fitting and understanding like I think he's he's probably spent more time in the wind tunnel than I'm not going to say anybody, but there's not many people in the triathlon world that have spent that much time in the wind tunnel. So his knowledge on the the aerodynamic side and bike fitting, I think is, is the best out there, but also he, he brought in a whole wealth of knowledge just in time trial specific bike mm. work. Mm. Um, and that was like an interesting dynamic, right? I think anytime you work alongside another coach, it can be challenging when 
their egos at stake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't do that with everybody, but Matt and I, I think both had the ability to leave the ego aside and just have some really good, open, honest conversations um, and work together. So he was writing the bike program for a while there. And I would then implement that into the the triathlon program. Wow. Yes. I've heard Matt Bottrell's name drop numerous times, whether it's, you know, my chats with, you know, Timothy O'Donnell, or Tim Don, now yourself. And uh, he's obviously, he's, in, he's based in the UK, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so do you, do your athletes go over there then to spend time with him and then come back? Is that? Yeah. That like works? we've not, not all of them. Like obviously the, the finances um, can be challenging and then, you know, with COVID and everything, but yeah. um, those that are looking at going in the wind tunnel, I definitely encourage them to go over there um, because I really believe that Matt has just more hours and more experience in the tunnel. Like he's just seen it. Um, so had yeah like even lauren brandon went over there last Mm, mm. winter i think to work on stuff um yeah a lot of the work with him is more you know behind the scenes with the detail of the program and him and i communicating what days we want certain sessions and some of the, the finer detail and then he will try to maximize bike fit and position um some of it is virtually some of it is then if the athlete goes over to the uk but then we also got him over to a couple of camps like we would normally have a camp somewhere oh, that's good in yeah. april and then a, a pre-kona camp he would try and make it for that um which was always invaluable oh that's awesome yeah that, if, if you look at your coaching then so you've got matt on your team and you guys are obviously working together is there an approach to coaching that you would, well, let's say an approach or a philosophy to the way that you coach? And if yes, I guess, is there sort of some coaching influences that you like to sort of draw upon? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first one is real simple in that I've always believed a happy athlete is a fast athlete. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. how do you, how do you create that? How do you help manage that? Um, and, and that's where it, initially it came from, let's create an environment where we can all get the work done with good people and, and have fun doing mm-hmm. it. Um, I guess the second one is, I believe that my role is to put all the pieces together. Um, while I have a lot of knowledge I think in all areas, just from being around the sport at a high level for 25 years, I'm not necessarily an expert in all of those things. So I'm, I like to outsource, mm-hmm. you know, so Matt Botchell is a great example. Um, I could guide people on bike fitting, but I, I'm not that person. Same with um, strength, nutrition, physiology. Like I have great people now that I work alongside um, they all have gifts in their specific mm-hmm. area. Um, and I see my role is trying to integrate it all and just lay out the plan for the athlete. I love that. It's almost like you're a concierge coach. It's like, <laughs> uh, join, sign up with me and I'll get you all the right, great, you know, well, experts. Ways, yeah, yeah like no, it, I, I love it. I think that's what you should do. And, and what I love about that, I almost wonder if because you've had your ego stroked so much as an athlete with so much success, 
that you're able to be a great coach that doesn't have an ego needing to be stroked because of your coaching. You know, like you've already, you've already, you've already been stroked. So now you're like, no, no, now I can really just focus on doing the best for the athlete. I reckon that's, it's really freeing if you think about it, you know? Yeah, I I think it comes more from a place of, like I, I, I think transitioning from being that athlete to that coach so quickly, hmm. like recognizing, like as an athlete, you only have one chance at this, mm-hmm. right? So I, I want, I want the athlete to have like the best, the best of everything. Mm. And even though, yeah, so me doing a half-assed effort of putting a strength program together, like that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Like let's get somebody who's really knowledgeable and cutting edge on all these who do you use for strength um it's gravitated it's changed you know a little bit um and some of it depends on personalities Mm -hmm. um boulder based kate ligler um some athletes have used uh kevin purvis who is also in boulder Mm -hmm. um and you know like tim and rennie obviously close with aaron carson Mm -hmm. um yeah, so the, those are probably the three. Yeah, but so I, I think it, yeah. Yeah, it needs to be the right person. No, for right sure. Person. Yeah. I, I love that you you look at the individual athlete and figure out even there you've got three coaches, three strength people, then you go, well, which is going to work with the best for them to be happy and enjoy what they're doing as well. I think the fact that you're leading with that, um, I've talked about that on many times where, on the show many times where we discuss like, when you're falling in love or things are going well, you're emotionally just unbelievable, but you're only 70% fit, but you crush it. Right. Yeah. And, and other times when, you know, you know, I had one time in the late nineties, I was going through a breakup with a girlfriend and it was just, I wasn't in a good relationship. It wasn't a good place. I remember turning up to world champs in Montreal being so fit, like just so fit. And Really, everyone in the squad, I was with Brett Sutton at the time, everyone's, you know, you're going to win this for sure. And I couldn't get out of my own way because I just, in my own head, I just wasn't happy. And um, and it's just, for me, understanding the importance of the joy in what you do and, and yeah. keeping that passion is so important. I love that you've you've presented that because I didn't know you you coached that with that stuff. So I think it's really cool. And I think yeah. it's, I think that's great. Um. I want, to, I want to ask you a couple more questions about coaching before we wrap up. Um, you know, you, what would you say are some of the most challenging sort of aspects of coaching? And are there, there are times you question <laughs> doing, doing it? Is it been, has it been um, yeah. enjoyable or is it, what's it like? It, like it, it's not always enjoyable. I don't mm. think any, any job is, but I've gotten a lot of joy and a lot of passion out of coaching mm. these last 10 years, especially, right? Mm. Like I think that's when I started being full-time, yeah, 10 years ago. Mm. Um, it's, it has become more challenging, I would say, managing or working with different personalities. Um, I think some of it, like the sport is changing at the top level, Um some of it, I think, comes from generational differences. We're mm-hmm. getting old, Greg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just there's so much knowledge out there yeah. that everybody can get. And so 
like, I, I feel like, especially with some of the younger athletes, I'm working with different, different people. Mm-hmm. It used to come down to let's, you know, let's just get the work done. Let's work hard. Yeah. Be disciplined, have fun. I think, I don't know if that same work ethic is there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably is. It's just different. Um, so it's navigating that. Um, and then there is also a sense of, we know it all. I was going to say that. Do we know it all? Or, you know, when we're, we're looking at what the, the Norwegians are doing, so we've got to train like them because they're winning everything. Or yeah. we're looking at Sam Laidlow. He's training like that. We've got to do that. I can imagine almost more of this social media generation where it's kind of YouTubing and social media and seeing how everybody else is doing it. And we should be doing more of that. And so every coach out there is going, oh, look, can we just stick to the plan and stay focused? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, a hundred percent. And yeah. so I, I definitely have battled with that mm. um, the last few years. It's, it's trying to get people to, to buy in and stick with the plan. And that, that's why I always appreciated, you know, athletes like Tio yeah. um, and coaching Rinny, you know, like they. Yeah. Well, two of the all-time greatest people we yeah, know. Like so. I was so lucky to, <laughs> to work with them, but yeah. they, they bought into the plan yeah. and they, they did it. And I think it, it's really hard to coach athletes that don't fully buy in. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's about how do you get them to buy in when everybody's posting about, as you said, like they're what they're doing, what the next latest and greatest thing is. Yeah. I've said to a number of athletes on the show is look, or usually off show. I'm like, look, here's three or four coaches out there. Go interview them. Mm-hmm. And then once you're on board, then give it a really good crack for a number of years but spend your time doing the, in the interview process, in the hiring process. I feel like it's one thing to go, Hey, you know, Dibbo coach me. It's like, no, no, no. Do some homework. Is the coach the right one for you? And if it is, don't have one foot in one foot out, jump in two feet and give it a good crack, you know? Yeah. Uh, Cause when one foot's in and one foot's out, like oh, you can't, nobody's no. winning, right? Nobody There's wins. just too much back and forth yeah, and yeah. struggling. No, for sure. Well, I, I have suggested um, to people to contact you. It, it, with your coaching, are you just focusing on elite? Do you have a decent age group? Can, you know, age groupers reach out to you and work with you? How does it work? Yeah, so initially I wanted to focus on, on elite age groupers and pros. Like I, I feel like that's still probably what my niche is. Yeah. Um, but I also have really enjoyed working um, with a different kind of group set, um, mm-hmm. beginners, like all kinds. And, and now I think it's almost like a, a goal of mine as a coach to be able to coach like anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like be adaptable yeah. and, and work with, with what comes in the door in some ways. Like I, in the last five years, we do now have five other coaches that work under the JDC banner. Um, which has been... Wow. So now you're managing people as well. Yeah. And, and that's been... Like, I really enjoy that side of it. Mm. Um, I don't enjoy some of the <laughs> the nuances that come with running a business, but the actual teamwork, um, working with these other coaches and troubleshooting, um, I think coaching can be fairly lonely sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that team around me... Um, 
has been really fulfilling and, and trying to mentor and just share some of my experiences. And then I'll, I'm always learning from them as, them as well. Mm, mm, that's um, really that's cool. Yeah. Would, would you ever, I'm just thinking, I'm just, as, as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking, would you ever want to get involved in the NCAA type program and, and, you know, like Cliff English went to Arizona. Have you ever thought about doing something like that? I, I don't think so, but I do feel that the, the endurance world is, is changing. Like things mm. are changing fast um, and the coaching world is changing. Like, of course, with the AI coaching coming on board, mm-hmm. um, like the triathlon space is changing. I definitely am starting to get more interested in coaching some single sport athletes, some gravel, mountain bike, some ultra running. Um, like there, there seems to be more interest Mm. in in that kind of area so i don't think i would go down the ncaa road but um well lsu if you're listening (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know if i could go back to baton rouge (laughs) you've done that you've been there done that you've done your time (laughs) Uh, let's finish off with um well firstly some opinions I know, I know you've got to run here soon, so we'll quickly run through some of these. But one, one I love to ask is, you know, in the world of triathlon, who, who, the men and women, who do you think are the goats? Oh, that's – it's a tough one, right, because there's so many different – Oh, yeah. Like we're talking ITU, we're just talking in general across the board. I think across the board. Who's the best we've ever yeah. done our sport? Um, I, like I would put Emma Snowsill up there. Mm, I like that. Um, obviously Jan Ferdino, mm. um, Alistair Brownlee was so dominant, yeah. even like Simon Lessing going back, like yeah, his, yeah. that generation, yeah. he was dominant. Um, he was insanely dominant. He was so good. Yeah. <laughs> Ahead of his time, right? Yeah, he was. Yep. Yep. Um, Vanessa Fernandez. Wow. That's, that's a, a blast from the yeah, past. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, she was that's phenomenal, she, Vanessa. Yeah. She was, yeah, uh, unbeatable. Yeah. I love that you brought those couple of names in um, because I do think we tend to dwell on the Ironman um, mm-hmm. event, um, but, you know, those couple of names, boy, all of them have smashed me or Laura at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> oh, but some great names. Um, quick, quick thought. We did touch on it earlier on the show. Um, you know, with the way Iron Man's broken up Nice and Kona, um, what are your thoughts behind all of that? Are you, are you okay with how it's run? What would have you done differently? Um. It's it's a tough one, right? I don't think anybody has the the magical answer. I I'm with you in that I would prefer to keep the men and women together. Mm. Um, so if that means not being in Kona every year, I'm all for that. Like I think it needs to have its its place in Kona. So whether that's on Olympic cycle every four years, yeah, yeah. or every other year, um, but I think it is hurting the sport as a general. Um, yeah. I agree Bite with you. Men and women. I agree with you 100%. That's why we get along so well, Dibbo. <laughs> <laughs> we got to come up. We were actually just trying to plan a trip. Um, it's 
bigger deal now with a three and a five-year-old. It's not as easy yeah. as Laura and I just jumping on a plane, but we are planning. Um, and so we'll keep you posted. I'm going to finish with final four. Um, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Um, that's a good one. Learn how to run. <laughs> like, <laughs> and there's some wisdom. Run in the pool and spend more time like above the land. I, lo- I love that. Uh, that. That's so great. <laughs> All right. Learn how to run. That's a good one. All right. Three people you'd want to have dinner with, non-family. They can be living or dead. Ooh. Um... I'm going to go back to like my, my tennis, like aspirations. And I'm going to go, I would love to have dinner with Roger Federer. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like gotta be the greatest tennis player, right? Yeah. I love that. A a genuine, nice guy. He seems like a good guy. Well, you allow three people. That's only one. Do you want two more? I I go him. I would probably go down my British roots and uh, say Princess Diana. Oh, beautiful. Yes. I have a story about that. Um, really? I'll share. Well, okay. I'll share it now, but everyone will probably be like, Greg, you're full of shit. But <laughs> I literally had a dream of Princess Diana in my dream the night before she was killed. You're full of shit. I, I know. See, that's, I, it's like I remember telling people, and it's like it's the weirdest experience in my entire life when it comes to weird what, dreams. What were you doing in your dream? I can't tell you all the details, Steve. <laughs> 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 no, but it was like it, she wasn't even top of mind. That was the weirdest thing. Um, but, yeah, um, that was sad, wasn't it? But that's a good one. Anyway, Federer. Um, uh, Princess Diana. And then Princess my last Diana. one's a little bit of a curveball, but I feel like it's very relevant, especially being in Boulder. Yeah. I'm going to go prime time. Prime. <laughs> How's that all been? I mean, he's, they've... They got beaten pretty well by Stanford on the weekend after they, they had a did. 29. But like, it's mm-hmm. just been a fascinating. It's been cool for Boulder. I've been thinking of all of you up there. Yeah. 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 And I just love to like actually meet him in person and just. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think it'd be interesting. All right. Well, if you're listening, mate, Deion Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And in the next five years, where do you see yourself? Um, I see myself still coaching, but maybe doing a little bit less in-person stuff, mm-hmm. maybe more online yeah. um, and just still living in Colorado, hopefully adventuring a little bit more. Cool. Just having fun. Come down and see us in Florida. Yeah. Um, all right, Dubo. Well, I know you've got to run, mm-hmm. um, but this has been absolutely fantastic. What, what's coming up in this, you know, pre-Christmas? Are you done for the year? Your athletes got more work to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm done traveling. I won't be going to any more races, but um, – as with the season now, like there's still lots more racing coming. Okay. I have quite a few athletes wanting to race through to December. Yeah. So downtime will probably wait until Christmas. How many athletes have you got on the books right now? Uh, I have 18 myself uh, under the JGC banner. I think we have close to 50. Oh, so. wow. And, yeah. it, and for listeners that, you know, want to learn about more, where do they go to? to uh, juliedimmonscoaching.com. Okay. Um, 
Perfect. I have a small presence on on social media, not a big one. I know, I know. Trust me, I've done some homework for this uh, for this episode. I'm like, okay, so Debo doesn't like to be out there too much. I, I wouldn't be out there much either if I didn't have the show and things. Uh, but uh, look, honestly, any final thoughts before I let you go? But this has been no, this has been um, yeah. really fun to connect, and I appreciate you asking me to be on here. Are you kidding? This has been absolutely, I should have had you on years ago, but it's been so fun just to reconnect, catch up. Um, And thanks for just sharing so much. It was really, really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Please say, uh, say hi to Laura. I will. I'll pass that on. And for everybody listening, you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right. Stay on the line to go. Cheers.